Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. episode 43 and I can't wait we're going to get to my week two NFL picks that's right I'm coming off a five and two week one so I'm going to bring you some more winners in my final word like I always do we're going to get to the games from week one which takes are overreactions and which takes which teams should you really buy into but first we've got to talk about that Thursday night football game I'd love to say that I can't believe the outcome from that Thursday night football game, but it's the Giants, and I'm a Giants fan, so nothing surprises me at this point, not even the fact that the New York Giants invent a new way to break their fan base's heart and blow a football game every single week. I I mean, I can't remember a loss this crushing. It It reminds me of that Eagles loss last year on Thursday night football when Evan Ingram had the most beautifully placed ball that Daniel Jones has ever gifted him right in his breadbasket and just clanged it. And the Giants lost to the Eagles, one of several games last year. You know, the Buccaneers game that just went down to the wire and the Giants couldn't finish. And it's more of the same for the New York football Giants. You know, I will say last night had so many positives. Daniel Jones looked as good as he ever has. Running the ball, I mean, and he didn't even get full credit for what he did on the ground because, of course, that tremendous touchdown got called back because of a holding down the field. One of several instances in the game where the Giants left points on the board. In fact, they left 11 points on the board in a game where they put up 29, much more than I think most people ever expect this Giants offense to put up, in a game where Daniel Jones had the best performance of his career, where Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton both looked incredible. The Giants still couldn't bring it home. They still left 11 points on the board. Two field goals that should have been touchdowns and a punt that should have been a field goal until Daniel Jones was sacked on third down and the team was out of field goal range. I mean, this game contains such flashes of progress and promise and belief that this Giants offense, that Daniel Jones, that they could really be something as soon as this season. But at the same time, it all comes back to the usual frustrations, a lack of discipline, a lack of discipline that has plagued this Giants organization since Tom Coughlin's final years. I mean, three head coaches, three full-time head coaches, Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer, and now Joe Judge, the self-proclaimed disciplinarian, the guy who will have pros running laps all day in practice, still can't make his team disciplined during the 60 minutes of play that they need it most. I mean, the Giants organization, the once storied New York Giants, are one of the least disciplined teams in the National Football League, and point blank, since 2017, they're the worst team in the National Football League. Ever since that boat picture, and look, I don't want to harp too much on it, obviously it's done, it was in the past, it was immature and irresponsible to do at the time, but ever since that happened, and then they went to Green Bay, a place that they had been successful In the postseason, their last two trips there, one at Green Bay in each of their two Super Bowl runs under Tom Coughlin, they go to Green Bay, 
they get demolished, embarrassed, run off the field. And since that point, since that boat party, they are the worst team in football. 18 and 49. Worse than the Detroit Lions. Worse than the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have appeared in a conference championship game since that boat picture was taken. Worse than their crosstown embarrassment, New York Jets. I mean, they're worse than the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns have gone winless in a season since the Giants took that picture, but hey, last year, they managed to almost tie the Giants' win total in the past three seasons in just one season. Uh, I mean, the Giants, the record doesn't lie. The numbers don't lie. They're the worst team in football over the past three-plus years. It's becoming to the point where die-hard, lifelong Giants fans, who, like myself, have for so long said, well, you know what? There's been some rough years, but hey, we still have two very recent Super Bowl rings to appreciate and to be proud of. Even we've reached the point where it's becoming embarrassing and frankly hard to support this organization, to be a fan of this organization. I mean, last night was just an inexcusable game to lose. It's the best game of your young quarterback who needs confidence in the worst way. It's the best game of his career. Darius Slayton looked absolutely phenomenal until, of course, that one deep ball that Look, could Daniel Jones have placed it a little better? Absolutely he could have. But Darius Slayton, there is one rule when you're a wide receiver in the National Football League. And that rule is that when there is not a defensive back within 20, maybe 25 yards of you, and your fingertips touch a football, you have to catch it. That is the rule. You weren't being hit. There was no one within 20 plus yards of you, and it hit your fingertips, the pass from Daniel Jones. You got to hold it. You got to reel it in. You made a great catch on that catch and throw up the left sideline earlier for a touchdown. But now, what's everyone talking about? It's the one that you dropped. The one that you missed. That would have put this game to bed. Would have made it 30-20 to in favor of the Giants with a little over four minutes to go in the game. That would have been the nail in the coffin. Instead, they settle for a field goal like they did all night. I mean, Graham Gano, he's been the best kicker in football for the past you know, year and two weeks. He's been absolutely amazing, absolutely incredible, but he can't kick any game-winning field goals because his team doesn't put him in a position to. Instead, he's kicking field goals when there should be touchdowns on the board. And they settle for a field goal, not the first time, not the only time they had done that in that game, and Washington is able to be in control the rest of the way, even when the Giants picked off Taylor Heineke and put themselves in the Washington red zone with just over two minutes to play. They still couldn't play to win. Instead, Jason Garrett, the worst offensive coordinator in the league, was the worst head coach in the league when he was with Dallas. Instead of playing to win, he opts to play not to lose. And what did that result in? The Giants, not utilizing Daniel Jones's legs, not even utilizing his arm until a desperate third down call, it results in them only knocking 16 seconds off the clock and giving the ball back to Washington at the two-minute warning with still a timeout of their own to work with. And then, of course, they drive down the field, get two chances at a game-winning field goal, and after the Dexter Lawrence penalty, Dustin Hopkins drills the chip shot right down the middle from 43. I mean, even when Washington gifted you your one opportunity to kill the clock to win the game, James Bradbury, who got torched all night long, made a tremendous read, a tremendous play, jumping that quick button hook route to Terry McLaurin, picks it off. The Giants still don't know what to do with it. It's becoming a once storied, once accustomed to winning franchise 
forgetting how to win. That's what we're watching. We're watching one of the most respected franchises in NFL history actually forget how to win. Uh, There's so much wrong from the top down. Joe Judge, I've been a believer in him. I thought what he did last year was very promising, the way he turned a 1-7 team around and finished 5-3 in the second half. You know, I looked at their schedule last year and I said, you know, they went 6-10, but they could have easily gone 10-6. You look at that Bears game week two of last year. The Giants were driving down, got stopped at the very end on fourth down. They were in a position to win. You look at the Eagles game I mentioned before. All Evan Ingram has to do is catch the damn ball that's in his breadbasket, courtesy of Daniel Jones, and the Giants win that game with that first down that he dropped. Look at the Buccaneers game. That no-call pass interference, which was clear as day in the end zone on the two-point conversion. I mean, the Giants last year, even if they don't win the four games that they should have, say they just win two, they go eight and eight, they win the division, the Giants could have been a playoff team last year. But it's becoming to the point where seemingly every year for the New York Giants, it's a story of, oh, well, they could have, they should have won that game, but they didn't. They don't. They never do. It's why they're 0-2 for a fifth straight season. In fact, for the eighth time in the last nine years. They've made the playoffs once in the nine seasons, soon to be 10, because they ain't going anywhere this year since their last Super Bowl win. Winning is not an expectation anymore for the New York football giants. It's a luxury, a rarity, something that instills false hope into their fan base. Look, week three, they've got Atlanta at home. I mean, that is a game you have to win. The Giants' defense alone gives them reason to win that game. Look, the Falcons have one of the worst defenses in football. Their offense couldn't do squat against Philly week one, and the Giants last year had a top 10 defense. Now, where that defense is this year, I don't know. It's on the back of a milk carton somewhere, nowhere to be found, just like their pass protection. But that defense, mixed with the improved offense, Daniel Jones in year three, you shouldn't beat Atlanta. You should slaughter the Falcons when they come to your home field next week. Will they? I don't know. And that's a damn shame that you can't chalk that up as a win. But even if it is a win, even if the Giants do come out on top, they're going to instill that false hope in their fan base that they do every time they win. That, okay, maybe from now on, we can write the shit. Maybe we'll win the games we're supposed to. But they never do. Last night was a game the Giants were supposed to win. And they failed yet again. You know, this defense, I can't figure it out for the life of me. Because last year, Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams had that career year. Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, James Bradbury going to the Pro Bowl, Blake Martinez being his usual self. That defense was incredible last year. They finished top 10 in the NFL in terms of scoring defense. And that was after really struggling early on in the year, you know, getting blown out by the 49ers, giving up points to Tampa Bay, to Dallas. I mean, that defense really struggled the first five, six weeks. Second half of the year, they were top five in the league. That defense was not just above average. That defense was great second half of the year. They completely shut out Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. Went to Seattle, held them to 12 points. Where the hell's that defense? On paper, they've gotten better. They added a Dory Jackson. They drafted Aziz Ojolari, who, by the way, first Giant since sacks became a recorded stat to record one in each of his first two games as a Giant. So, hey, that's something going for him. But uh, where's the rest of the defense? James Bradbury, I mentioned it. His interception set the Giants up to win that ball game, but he got torched all night long. I mean, the fact that you talk about help on defense, the fact that I have to live every day knowing that we drafted Andrew Thomas 
when we could have had Chase Young if Daniel Jones just lost to Washington once his rookie season. That haunts me to this day, a year and a half plus later. The fact that if we just lost, you know, I've only rooted as a fan against the Giants twice. Ironically, that Seattle game I just mentioned where we shut him out for betting purposes, I rooted against him that day. And then the other time I rooted against the Giants, the only other time was week 16 in 2019 when we played Washington and it was clear the loser of that game was going to get the number two overall pick and was going to get Chase Young. Instead, what do we do? We get Andrew Thomas, who I talk about this team's lack of discipline. How many false starts did Thomas have last night? How many holdings? I mean, he had two or three penalties last night. He has been a total, utter, complete bust. By the way, who did I want with that fourth pick? I wanted either Isaiah Simmons, if they were going to address defense, or if they were going to address offensive line, I wanted Tristan Wirfs. Where did Tristan Wirfs go? Tampa Bay, a team he won a Super Bowl with his rookie year. What's Andrew Thomas done? Absolutely nothing. Protecting Daniel Jones as a member of this Giants offensive line. This offensive line's dreadful. And I talked about Darius Slayton before. Sterling Shepard, who's having an amazing first two games. Kenny Galladay, who, look, I don't blame him. The way he was screaming and shouting on that sideline. Now, if he was yelling at Jones, he's out of line. But now reports surfaced today that he might have been screaming at Jason Garrett. Can you blame him? If I was 10 feet away from Jason Garrett, I'd be screaming at him too right now. Had to watch 18 games of some of the worst play calling the Giants have ever had. And and look, even under Eli Manning, even when they were winning games, the Giants had boring offenses. They had boring play calling. But there's no excuse when your offense has the likes of Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, one of the best, most deep receiving cores in the National Football League. There's no excuse for the play calling to remain so mundane. Jason Garrett is a problem, and if that's who Kenny Galladay was yelling at, I don't blame him. But either way, Galladay is a talented wide receiver. Frustrated, but talented. So drafting Kadarius Toney, can someone please explain that one to me? Kadarius Toney played 19 snaps last night. Had zero carries, zero targets, didn't touch the football in those 19 snaps. So please explain to me why you drafted a decoy with your first round pick this April. I get it. They panicked. They were going to draft Devonta Smith. But when the Cowboys saw that they were losing out on both Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn, they traded back. They let the Eagles jump the Giants. Devonta Smith goes to the Eagles. And the Giants have to trade back. I'm fine with the trade back. But you had Christian Darrisaw on the board. You have one of the worst offensive lines in football. And this is not a brand new problem. This has been a problem for years now. And you had a pit bull, an absolute dog on the board in Christian Darrisaw. A versatile offensive tackle, a guy who, if you needed, could shift down to guard. A monster at VTech who just mauled defensive linemen no matter where he lined up. He was available. And the Giants draft a decoy wide receiver and number four wide receiver on this team because that's what it is. I mean, I've been on Darius Slayton since his rookie year. It was evident when Daniel Jones took over for Eli Manning. The two of them, they came in in the same draft class. They had immediate chemistry. Darius Slayton is a talent. We all know Galladay and Shepard are talents. Kadarius Toney has no place, has no fit on this Giants football team, especially with Jason Garrett's offensive play calling. You could have used that pick to address your protection, to address your franchise quarterback who you drafted sixth overall, or your franchise running back who you drafted second overall. You know, I mean, everyone criticizes the Giants for drafting a running back with the number two pick in Saquon Barkley when they were in a rebuilding phase. And look, yes, hindsight's 2020. 
If everyone knew Josh Allen was going to be what he's turned out to be, not only would the Giants have taken him second, the Browns probably would have taken him first. But Baker was off the board. Darnold thus far has been a bust, even though I'm high on him in Carolina in that Matt Rule Joe Brady system. Josh Rosen is a backup on Atlanta, one of the worst teams in football. You know, who knew? Lamar Jackson, of course, he won the MVP. He wasn't even talked about as a top 10 quarterback in that draft class. Saquon Barkley was not the bad pick. He was not the wrong pick. He's not the problem. The problem is the failure to put an offensive line in front of him, in front of Daniel Jones. And what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over, repeatedly, expecting a different result? Dave Gettleman loves to talk about his hog mollies, but refuses to put any damn good ones on that line of scrimmage. It's the definition of insanity, going out with the same offensive line every single year, giving your quarterback two and a half seconds in the pocket every single year, giving Saquon Barkley a broken down backfield every single year. The Giants are one of the most frustrating teams in sports, not in football, not in New York, in sports, period. And look, go check out my Instagram poll, my Instagram at Joe Serralo, because as a Mets and Giants fan, I put the poll up. I want to know which team is it more frustrating right now to be a fan of, the Mets or the Giants? I mean, since 2017, no playoff appearances, tons of losing seasons, tons of seasons with high expectations and no results. It's frustrating. It's tiring. Personally, right now, despite the fact that they've given me two Super Bowl wins in my lifetime, and the Mets, despite giving me two World Series appearances, haven't brought it home, I think right now it's actually harder and way more frustrating to be a fan of the New York football giants. When we come back, we're going to look at some of the week one games, how they'll bleed over into week two, who the contenders are, and who the pretenders are, right here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. So don't go anywhere. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. We're back here on Sorallo Sports Talk, and it's time to take a look at some of the results from week one, how they'll impact the rest of the season. We're going to play overreaction or real deal. I've got two overreactions, two real deals from the first week of the NFL season. We'll take a look at how that week one performance is going to impact them right here in week two and moving forward. So my first overreaction, the Green Bay Packers are going to flop in Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams's last stance. That's a total overreaction. Now look, Were the Green Bay Packers atrocious week one? Yes. Did they look complacent? Did they look disinterested? Yes. All of that is true. I'm a Jameis Winston lover. I'm high on Jameis Winston's potential, especially now that he had that LASIK eye surgery and can actually see where the hell he's throwing the ball. I mean, the guy couldn't see. He still threw for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns. He is a talent, and he opens up Sean Payton's playbook tremendously wider than Drew Brees was ever able to. But the Green Bay Packers were still supposed to win that game. They should have won that game. And they didn't even make it close. They lost by 35. You could have done an alternate spread of New Orleans minus 34 and a half. Probably would have been plus 1 billion odds. And you would have actually won. 
That's how embarrassing, how atrocious they were week one. But keep in mind, top to bottom, the NFC North is going to be one of football's worst divisions this year. It's right alongside the NFC East and the AFC South. Now, Chicago, Chicago could be a dangerous team. They could upset some teams later in the season. I know they made the playoffs last year. Chicago's not going anywhere. Even though they were a playoff team last year, this is a rebuilding year, and rightfully so. I said it on last week's episode. I think Matt Nagy is actually handling the Justin Fields, Andy Dalton situation really well right now. Because with Andy Dalton in there, the Bears could realistically start 0-3, best case 1-2, and and I think Justin Fields come week 4, when they're home at Soldier Field against Detroit, he's the guy, and I think he's going to start off his career with a tremendous confidence booster and a win. But the Bears are not there yet. The Vikings are overrated as hell. I had them losing to Cincy. Newsflash, I got them losing again to Arizona. I don't see Minnesota going anywhere. (laughs) And the Lions. I mean, with Houston's convincing win week one, the Lions might be the worst team in football this year. So the Green Bay Packers are going to win the NFC North. They are going to be a playoff team. Now, even if they don't get the one seed in the NFC, an NFC, which by the way, got better with Matthew Stafford going to the Rams, got more competitive at the top. It's no longer just Green Bay and Tampa. It's Green Bay, Tampa, the Rams, maybe San Fran. Now that they're healthy, can get back into competing to be up top, even though the Moster injury is a killer. The 49ers use a multitude of running backs better than anyone. And of course, never count out Russ Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. So look, the NFC is definitely more competitive up top, but Green Bay is going to make the playoffs. They're going to win that division. They're going to win at least 11 games this year. However, Losses like these are what GM Brian Gutekunst gets for drafting around his star Hall of Fame MVP quarterback Aaron Rodgers the way he has. I mean, did you see not just the way Jameis Winston was executing throws and managing the game, did you see how he had all the time in the world on Sunday? He wasn't sacked once. I don't think he was touched. I don't think Jameis Winston even got his jersey dirty in that demolition of the Green Bay Packers down in Jacksonville on Sunday. You know, I'm sure Aaron Rodgers would have rather Gutekunst take any of the three defensive ends that went right after his first-round pick cornerback Eric Stokes this year in the draft. Yeah, Greg Rousseau go to Buffalo. Odafe Owe go to Baltimore. He had a sack in his debut on Monday night. You had Joe Tryon go to Tampa Bay, the last pick of the first round. He looked absolutely amazing in the preseason and in that opening night game against Dallas. He didn't have a sack, but he had a couple tackles for loss, was in the backfield all night. Those three guys went all in a row after the Packers took Eric Stokes in the first round. Maybe some pressure on Jameis Winston would have been nice. That Packers front line, that Packers D line is absolutely awful. Or maybe last year, we all know about last year's Green Bay first round draft pick, maybe instead of worrying about the future after Aaron Rodgers. Maybe Gutekunst could have kept Rodgers happy. And instead of drafting Jordan Love, take, I don't know, T. Higgins, maybe a weapon who almost caught a thousand yards last year. And that was with his star quarterback, Joe Burrow, injured most of the season. Higgins still turned in over 900 receiving yards. He would have been an instant number two on this Green Bay offense. So I'm not sounding the alarms on the Green Bay Packers. They're still going to win the division. They're still going to make the playoffs. I'm a little more nervous about my over-under. I took them over 11.5 wins, figured with the 17-game season, they could at least go 12-5. and Now I'm a little nervous, but they're going to be fine because they play in one of the worst divisions in football. So there's work to be done, but I'm not sounding the alarm just yet. That 
would be an overreaction. Now, I mentioned T. Higgins. How about a real deal? The Cincinnati Bengals are here to contend. The Cincinnati Bengals are the real deal. In fact, they're going to make a playoff push this year. And a lot of people might say, slow your roll, Joe. They just beat Minnesota, who you think stinks, in overtime in week one. But Joe Burrow and company do not care that they play in the second best division in football. Joe Burrow and company does not care that the Cincinnati Bengals were picked to finish dead last in that second best division in football by a mile. No, this team can realistically enter its week 10 bye with a 6-3 and three record. Oh, and how about Jamar Chase? Does, does anyone dispute how well Jamar Chase can see the ball now? Is he seeing the ball okay now? I mean, this Bengals team is not the Bengals teams of Andy Dalton's tenure there. Of course, look, they won games with Andy Dalton there, but they didn't have that toughness. They didn't have that moxie, that swag that Joe Burrow provides, that Jamar Chase provides, that on the defensive side of the ball, Jesse Bates provides. Don't sleep on the Cincinnati Bengals. They've got some matchups coming up with Jacksonville, with the Jets. This is a team that can enter their week 10 by at 6-3, and three. and is anyone going to be calling me crazy at that point for saying they're a playoff contender? The Cincinnati Bengals are the real deal. Now, I've got another overreaction. The Tennessee Titans are in trouble after losing 38-13 to at home week one against Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. No, the Tennessee Titans aren't in trouble. The Cardinals are just that good. I was trying to say this to everyone a year ago. The Cardinals were my surprise playoff pick a year ago, and it looked like I was going to be right when they started the year 6-3 and three before collapsing down the stretch. The Cardinals, raw talent-wise, have as much of it as any team in football not named the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, it's going to be a fight once again for the Cardinals to make the playoffs simply because I talk about the AFC North being the second toughest division in football. Well, for the Cardinals, the NFC West that they play in is the toughest division in football. And on the flip side, for the Tennessee Titans, the reason I'm not sounding the alarm is because they, conversely, play in the weakest division in football. And oh, by the way, this is the Titans' MO. They are one of the worst September teams in the league over the past five years. Maybe not New York Giants bad, going 0-2 to start each of the past five seasons, but they are one of the worst September teams, both straight up and against the spread, in football in the past five years. And in fact, the Tennessee Titans, you can check this off your list now, they're going to start 0-2 this year because they're going to lose in Seattle on Sunday because they don't have an answer yet on the defensive side of the ball for Russ Wilson and his plethora of weapons that he has out in Seattle. Plus, you've got the new offensive coordinator. You've got the more creative play calling actually letting Russ cook. The Titans are going to start 0-2 this year, but they'll be fine because after they lose to Seattle on Sunday, they've got a week three divisional matchup with the Indianapolis Colts. And you all know how I feel about the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts, who last year put up a hell of a fight in the wild card round against Buffalo, could have won that game. The Colts are not a playoff team this year. They're not even close. And it's because Phillip Rivers, in year, I don't know, 62 in the NFL, is still a better option than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is not a top 32 quarterback anymore in the National Football League. And so the Titans are going to right the ship in week three by beating up on Carson and the Colts. And then they've got the Jets and the Jaguars after that. 
So an 0-2 Titans team can realistically, should realistically be 3-2 after week five. Now look, the Titans are going to have a tough schedule. They won their division last year. They're going to have to play the other division winners in the AFC as the season progresses. But even if they don't have a great regular season, even if they don't have a winning record, the AFC South, with Carson Wentz going to the Colts and with the Texans and Jaguars nowhere near being competitive, is a division that Tennessee can win by going 8-9. and nine. So while I'm not overreacting in the sense that I'm saying their season's done, they will have a shot at the playoffs, I do not think the Tennessee Titans are a double-digit win team like they've been in recent years. That much, I can tell you, is real. And for my final real deal, it's a team I mentioned before when I spoke about the competitiveness in the NFC now at the top. The Los Angeles Rams are Super Bowl contenders. I spent nearly three out of my five shows from Radio Row this past February in Tampa Bay on the trade that saw the Lions and Rams swap quarterbacks the week before Super Bowl 55. Now, there's good reason that I spent parts of three out of those five shows on this trade. There's good reason that I couldn't wait to talk to the likes of Marshall Falk and Dan Fouts about this trade. It's that Matthew Stafford is that dude who can bring a Super Bowl to the Rams. Look, I don't care how good you think Jared Goff looked in the second half against San Francisco week one after falling behind 31-10 at halftime. I can look good throwing blind passes when my team's down three scores at the intermission. Jared Goff was never that dude in Los Angeles. That was obvious. That was clear when he put up a whopping three points against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl in Atlanta a few years back. Look, in a Super Bowl, frankly, his Rams team didn't deserve to make in the first place. We all know about the penalty. The Saints were the NFC's best team that year. Not only does a star quarterback like Matthew Stafford get the Rams back to the Super Bowl, but with his talent, with Sean McVay's system, with that defense led by Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, Matthew Stafford is that quarterback who can lead the Rams to a Super Bowl win as soon as this season in their home stadium. And wouldn't that be something? The year after Tampa Bay becomes the first team ever to win the Super Bowl in their home stadium, the Rams could make it happen two years in a row. Matthew Stafford is that good. When we come back, my final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. It's my pick six. You'll get my best pick six against the spread this week, plus my extra point, my Moneyline Underdog winner of the week. It's all coming right up. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk. It is time for my final word here on Sorallo Sports Talk, and it's football season. So that means it's time for my Sorallo pick six. I love these games this week. In fact, There are as many as, depending on the book you look at, seven games that feature a line of three and a half points. So it can be a tricky week. 
Any game that ends in a field goal can definitely screw a lot of people over. So let's get into which of those games I love, which ones I'm staying away from. My first pick, it's the New Orleans Saints. I got them down to minus three. That's what my book was showing at Carolina. Look, the Carolina Panthers, I think, have a lot of potential. Whether or not they're going to show that full potential early this season, I still need to see, and the Saints showed what they're capable of against a much better opponent in Green Bay. Jameis Winston can flat out ball. Give me Winston. Give me Sean Payton, the experienced coach against the novice Matt Rule. Give me the Saints. Minus three at Carolina. How about the Buffalo Bills? Shocking everyone by looking awful, looking like they have an anemic offense in that week one matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, they're going to Miami to a team that they've won five straight against, that they've won seven of their last eight against, and they're three and a half point favorites. Look, it's a terrible number. I've said it, but I'm riding with it. Why? Because Miami was a three-point favorite the last time these two teams met. In week 17 of last season, when the Bills had the two-seed clinch and absolutely nothing to play for. What did the Dolphins do? They lost 56-26. to Josh Allen is not starting a season 0-2 when he has a Super Bowl in sight. And while Miami has an elite secondary that is definitely more than capable of forcing a turnover or two, their pass rush leaves a lot to be desired. Give me Josh Allen and the Bills by a tutty in this one. I'm taking a minus three and a half. Now, gotta have an underdog in there. The Las Vegas Raiders, a team that was responsible for one of just my two losses in week one. They're five and a half point dogs at Pittsburgh. Do the bookmakers realize that the Las Vegas Raiders have an explosive offense, that the Pittsburgh Steelers have an anemic offense, and that Big Ben is 2-5 in his career against the Raiders? In fact, that's his worst winning percentage against any AFC team. He's better against the New England Patriots, against all of those Peyton Manning-led Indianapolis Colts teams. He's better against all of them than he is the Raiders. This is going to be a matchup of the Raiders' offense versus the Steelers' defense, and while I don't know if Vegas can go on the road, pull off the win, and start 2-0 for the second straight season. They haven't done that in consecutive seasons since the 80s. I don't know if they're going to do all that, but they're going to cover. Give me the Raiders plus 5.5. Now, my fourth pick. It's my favorite pick. It's my pick of the week. It's the San Francisco 49ers at the Philadelphia Eagles. The 49ers are 3.5-point favorites at Philly. Some books have shown it down to 2.5. Some have shown it down to 3. I get it. Jalen Hurts and the Eagles put up 32 points against the Falcons week one, and now everyone wants to ride the ship. Stick with San Fran. Look, that East Coast trip for a West Coast team doesn't scare me when it pertains to the 49ers. Why? Well, they were 3-0 on the East Coast last year. If you count the Detroit game from week one, because of course Detroit is in the Eastern time zone, the Niners have won four straight in the Eastern time zone. And going back to the start of 2019, that Super Bowl season where they fell in February against Kansas City, they're 6-1 in their last seven games in the Eastern time zone. That West Coast, East Coast thing does not apply to the 49ers. I'm riding them big this week. Minus three and a half at Philly. Pick number five, the Denver Broncos. They're six-point favorites against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, the Jaguars just got annihilated by Tyrod Taylor and the Houston Texans. Now look, Tyrod Taylor can play. Tyrod Taylor can hang. He's not as good as Teddy Bridgewater. And by the way, Teddy Bridgewater, you want to talk about good? Let's talk about great. Against the spread on the road, he's the GOAT. Best quarterback in NFL history against the spread on the road, 22-3. and three against the number. I don't think that changes this week. Give me the Broncos minus six at Jacksonville. My final pick, 
for the Sorallo pick six before we get to my extra point. The LA Rams. I can sit here and rant and rave and talk about the Rams all day. And I can talk about the team they're playing all day too. They're three and a half point favorites at Indianapolis. Look, at this point, the Colts are more worried about their debut on the inaugural midseason hard knocks that starts this November than they're worried about winning football games. That move was evident the second they acquired Carson Wentz. As long as Carson Wentz is leading the charge for the Indianapolis Colts, I'll be betting against the Indianapolis Colts. Give me the Rams minus three and a half on Sunday. And for my extra point, I'm going with LSU. Wait, wrong tiger. The Cincinnati Bengals. Same thing, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. This is the pro version of LSU, and I'm taking them in Chicago at the Bears to start 2-0. When was the last time that seemed realistic for a Bengals fan? That's right, the Bengals are going to start 2-0 in Chicago, taking plus 120 at the Bears. And just like that, this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk is up, it's over, it's out of here. My Giants still suck, but hey, at least I'm going to make you some money this week. I'll see you next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.